We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And I am doing this. What is this, you might ask? This is the podcast known as What's the Good Word? The podcast that is a one-stop shop for all of your Atlanta sports news and, of course, Cobb County. I'm your host, Joshua Julian, and this is our last show of the week, which means it is our Atlanta Hawks episode of the week. We try to set it up. Typically, it's going to go Falcons, Braves, Georgia Tech, and then the Hawks. The Braves and Georgia Tech in the middle are, you know, apt and or um, are in a situation where they might get swip- switched here and there. Depends on recording schedules, but either way. Um, yes, today we're going to be talking about the Hawks. Um, back from the All-Star break, we talked about on the last episode, what should we be looking for past the All-Star break? What What's what's to be expected of this team? And so far, I mean, they did lose to the Raptors on, on that day. The episode was released, 123 to 121. And the biggest news coming out of that was that Trey Young hurt his finger. Uh, and he is going to be out four to six weeks. Very unfortunate situation to see um, come acc- come around with Trey Young because he was in the middle of a very good um, statistical season. But after um, undergo after suffering that injury, he is going to be out as I said four to six weeks. And it's in- I mean you started to see some calls from national media guys to for the Hawks to tank. Right, or maybe they should put Trey on the trade block, um, and that's where the interesting part comes in because you know Trey Young has been the best player on the Atlanta Hawks for quite a while, and without him, historically the team has not been that good. I saw a record somewhere; you can probably find it, but you know, dating back to his rookie year, like the offense is always at minimum league average when Trey is on the court, and his first couple years when there was like little to no talent. The offense would be like the worst in the NBA when he was off the court. But when he was on the court, they would be, you know, league average. They would be competing with other teams. And that that is kind of held up throughout um, his career. Well, they've played two games now without Trey Young, and the Atlanta Hawks are 2-0 and in those games, starting off with the win on Sunday against the Orlando Magic, where they went 1-109 to 92. 92 points for the Orlando Magic. It, the Hawks had a great defensive showing, um, great games from Jalen Johnson, who had 21 points, 10 rebounds, seven assists, two blocks and a steal. You also had 25 and 11 from DeJounte Murray, 17 from Bogdan Bogdanovich, 18 off the bench from DeAndre Hunter. And you got to actually see Kobe Bufkin play. He played 11 minutes, got himself a block and a steal, three assists was only one of four from the field. But, um, you know, good again, good good game from the Hawks. They were playing a Magic team that did not have Paulo Bancaro, so they're uh, they're starting Goga Patazde, Anthony Black, Jalen Suggs, Franz Wagner, and Wendell Carter. It's an interesting starting lineup. There's just not not a ton of shooting in that that lineup. Your best shooter might be either Wagner or, heaven forbid, Wendell Carter. It it's <laughs> I don't want to you know diss a victory right because victories are very important, but not exactly the the a squad there and it's it's a team that i 
the Magic haven't had a great offense most of the year. Paolo has kind of led them to some stretches of average to above averageness, but even Paolo, who's a very good player, is not a great shooter. So offenses like that that are built around a bunch of non-shooters are not in vogue in the NBA, right? Because it, it almost makes the defense's job easier. The whole point of having shooters like Trey Young, Garrison Matthews, Sadiq Bey, Bogdan Bogdanovich is you stretch the defense because they always have to account for guys like that. So there's more space between the defender and the basket for you to be able to exploit, easier driving lanes, plenty of room for cuts. The offense just has a lot more freedom of movement. So again, not one, don't want to diss on a win, but it was a win with a caveat right? The the Magic are not at full strength. They haven't been a great offense all year. Um, to hold them at 92 points is still impressive for the Hawks because the Hawks are also one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA and therefore, by extension, one of the worst defensive teams of all time. But either way, uh, they did. It was a close game. The Magic were up three at the end of the first, and then they were up six going into halftime. But the Hawks went on, won the third quarter 38-19 to and then won the fourth by four to get to where they were. So it was a third quarter blitz from the Atlanta Hawks that won them this game. Like I said, just a good all-around team effort. Nobody truly dominated the ball. A lot of you had five people in double figures. Um, Clint Capella only played 17 minutes and did not look didn't play great, but Bruno Fernando got some run, which is always great. Love Bruno Fernando. And then the other win was John Collins in his homecoming to Atlanta um, on Tuesday. 124 to 97 against the Jazz. The Hawks had another great win. This one was wire to wire. They won every single quarter, the first, the second, the third, and the fourth. Uh, box score wise, Jalen Johnson again, 22 and 13, only missed five shots. He did have five turnovers, but we can ignore that because of how great he has been all year. Uh, DJ had another double double, 17 points, 11 rebounds, a bit inefficient from the field, seven of 19. Uh, did have two blocks as well, though. Bogey was not had 19. Sadiq Bay had 16. He Sadiq Bay has been on a nice little run here. I think that he deserves some flowers, especially since he's been moved into the starting lineup. He has started to play a much closer to the guy that he was last year, as opposed to the admitted the respectfully, of course, to him the dumpster fire that he was beforehand. Off the bench, DeAndre Hunter has really taken to this bench role. 20 points on with five rebounds, six of 10 shooting. And then Kobe Bufkin got some legit run, 21 minutes, 7 points, 5 assists, 2 steals. A nice run of form from Kobe Bufkin. So the Hawks 2-0. Hawks 2-0 without Trey Young. The question on everyone's mind, is that something that needs to be paid attention to? I've seen some people on the interwebs. I've seen some people on X, formerly known as Twitter, suggesting that it is because Trey Young is no longer playing on the team right now that the Hawks have looked better. It is because of them that the Hawks have held those two teams below 100 points. And listen, I'm not going to tell you defensively, I can definitely make an argument that part of the reason those teams were held under 100 points was because Trey Young was not out there because as much credit as Trey deserves this year for, you know, making himself better on defense and becoming a, not not a positive but less of a negative on that end, as much credit as he deserves. Um, he is still not a great defender, right? It, it's really hard for him to hold up one-on-one -on -one because of how small and skinny he is. There's there's almost nobody else in the NBA is that combination of short and skinny. So there's always going to be something that he's giving up. And like I said, this year he has put in so much work to become a better defender, 
And by that, I mean he's gotten really good. He's kind of done the AI, the Allen Iverson thing, where, you know, he's definitely short. He's definitely skinny. He's not going to hold up one-on-one, like in the post, getting bullied. So you use your quickness to your advantage and try to get a gamble for steals, more or less, right? Um, and so he's at least gotten to the point where he's making some good plays. But either way, um, again, I'm not going to say... I do think that there's a level of that that's helped with this defense, but also, I mean, Orlando was missing Paolo Bancaro, and Utah has not been a great offensive team most of this year anyway. They're starting a rookie at point guard in Keontae George. Um, looking at their starting lineup, I mean, it's a very it's an interesting starting lineup with him and Colin Sexton. Um, they, the, Jalen Johnson did, did do a really good job on Laurie Markin and holding him to 11 points. And that was definitely a huge, huge factor. But it's the Hawks did not beat great teams. So the, to if you're going to try to make this about Trey Young, let's hold off a little bit. If the, Haw- the Hawks are playing the Brooklyn Nets in a back-to-back, or not a back-to-back, they play them on the day I'm recording this Thursday, and then they play them Saturday um, in Brooklyn as well, and then they'll play the Knicks, followed by a game against the Cavaliers the next day. So if you see them play well against the Knicks and the, the Cavs, right, that'll be a lot more indicative of what this team is going to look like without Trey. Now, the schedule, we only have about a month and a half left. The season wraps up in the middle of April. So Trey Young will be back, if he does come back, probably by the around the end of March. So just in time for the Hawks to, to go to their annual play-in games and try to fight their way to be a first-round exit against the one or two seed. But <laughs> all joking aside, uh, Trey Young is not the problem. I, I want to be very, very clear about that. Trey Young is part of the reason that the Hawks ever have a fighting chance in their games. This game has, These games have shown a lot, and hopefully they continue to show a lot. This is actually not a bad thing for the Atlanta Hawks missing Trey Young, uh, if you're looking at it big picture. So the way that I've seen it as this has shown, one, Jalen Johnson is most definitely untouchable. Um, he is showing that as a number two type player, he can make plenty of impact in a multiple different facets from defense to offense. He is ready for that responsibility. And I think that uh, this offseason, the focus should be on making sure that he is going to be in that kind of a position next year. It's also showing that DeJounte Murray is definitely a viable point guard type on a decent team. He is still a borderline top 50 player. And he is better with the ball in his hands, which we've kind of figured out. What it's really showing is that it's not Trey that's holding the Hawks back, and it's not DJ holding the Hawks back. It's putting both of them together, I think, that's holding the Hawks back. They're both very good individual players who unfortunately have games that just have not meshed. And there's been efforts from both sides. Both guys have tried to you know, play off the ball, kind of seed it, but it, it turns into a your turn, my turn type offense, which almost never works out. You know, just, I just will go look at Brooklyn. Although they were really good when they were healthy, it's just they were never healthy. But either way, very rarely does that kind of offense work out, especially in the NBA where there's so many you know, athletic defenders, smart players. It just shows that the ultimate goal this offseason is to trade one of them and more likely than not it will be DeJounte Murray because Trey Young is a superstar or close to a superstar DeJounte Murray is a borderline star right he even in these games where he's played really well he's gotten the 11 assists it's similar if everybody that dumps on Trey Young because he's always has the always has the ball in his hands it's the same thing with DeJounte right now he's always got the ball in his hands he's running a lot of pick and rolls he's 
the main decision maker. He's the, the only guy really out there more often than not that is comfortable making those kinds of decisions and playmaking for other people. So he's racking up the assists. And again, he's a good passer. I mean, he's averaged nine assists in the season in the NBA. You have to be a good passer to be able to do that. But it's not showing that DJ is better than Trey or that we should pick DJ over Trey. It is showing that DJ can be a, a viable point guard if you give him the ball. And it's really just showing other teams that he is worth the money that we're, he's currently signed for, and he's worth a couple assets here and there. So the interest in him should be high in the offseason. I would expect him to be traded way before Trey, partially because he will be had for less, and also because you know there's more money tied up in Trey. And again, a, a package for Trey Young is going to involve at least three first-round picks, in my humble opinion, plus a young player or two. <clears throat> So that that is what it's that is the main thing that I think these games have shown so far. And depending on what happens in the next week, when we come back and record this podcast next Thursday, um, we'll be able to talk about this even more. Probably the other thing it has shown is that there are still viable players on this team. This team is still a viable, like a decent team, right? I do still think that the ultimate goal is to get Onyeka Kongwu as your starting center, but the Jazz game in particular, Clint Capella did have nine and thirteen. He also had three blocks. Clint Capella still has some level of value in the NBA. He is still a, a borderline starting center. I just think Onyeka is the same way. He's younger, and I think he makes your defense more switchable. But Clint should have some kind of value in the offseason. It's also shown that DeAndre Hunter has really worked on his game. I mean, he has really taken to this bench role. I'm not sure how long it's going to stick like this, but he has really worked on you know, his game and it, plenty of guys who have started for the amount of years that he has started would ch- almost chafe at taking to a bench roll. He has taken it almost as a way to prove himself, it looks like. And I am I am here for that. I respect him for that. I have slandered DeAndre Hunter a plenty in the last couple of years, ever, basically ever since he signed the contract extension. I, I'm not the biggest DeAndre Hunter fan, personally. But if he is doing stuff like this and – I'm I'm willing to to hear him out because he does have talent. He is an NBA level player. He is an NBA level, he's a borderline NBA starter. Absolutely. There's just certain things that he does. It, part of it is the Hawks have never gotten a, a defender on the perimeter that is better than him. And I think that that's the issue is that he has to be he's had to be the number one defender and he's not cut out to be the number one defender. But the other thing these games have shown is that the Hawks might have found somebody who could be that. And his name is Kobe Bufkin. If anything, these games have shown that the Hawks' development plan for Kobe Bufkin and what they are going through, they're doing with Seth Lundy and Mo Guy, you should trust them. Trust trust the process, ladies and gentlemen. Please trust the process. Kobe Bufkin, after he's now getting legitimate run. Um, there, he also will probably get even more because the Hawks did waive Patty Mills today and converted Trent Forrest to a... a f- fully guaranteed full you know main roster contract but Kobe Bufkin needs to continue to get these minutes getting 21 minutes against the Jazz he has shown plenty of defensive potential he's guarding on the perimeter he's sliding his feet he's using his hands he's trying to get involved as much as possible and offensively he's like a chameleon that's the part that intrigues me the most and that's why I think he might be the ideal running make for Trey Young in the future he's able to play on the ball he's more than comfortable running a pick and roll here and there he's he's got a nice little pull-up mid-range jumper but he's also comfortable playing off the ball he's okay as a catch and shoot guy he's okay as a cutter 
he he can kind of do it all on a basketball court. I don't think there's really anything right now that he's a master at. He's still kind of skinny, so I don't think he's going to be your number one defender. But as a guy at the two spot who can play next to Trey and like take the tougher assignment, I think he is he's definitely up there. He can he can do it. You know he he's he's very active in the passing lanes. He's got long arms, so he's able to kind of cut people off. He's he's almost wise beyond his years on that end, and that is something I am one hundred percent here for. I, the Kobe Buffkin breakout, or I I want to say the Hawks fans on the internet are, are praising him a little too much right now. It's seen it's almost it's almost it's it's <laughs> reading the tweets. It's they're they're very much like oh he's every possession he's doing something great, and it's like well then maybe not, but. He's been a nice revelation, and it makes me very, very hopeful for what the Hawks are doing in the G League right now because he has spent a good amount of time this year in the G League. He got some minutes. He was also set back by the broken thumb, but the Hawks do have um, a couple other intriguing guys in the G League. As I mentioned, their second-round pick, Muhammad Guy. Coming out of college, he was a very interesting prospect. I did like kind of what they were talking about him when we drafted him. Um, and he's still only 21 years old, so he is still very young. Unfortunately, his own, you know, um, how shall we say, um, his, his development has been stopped himself because of injuries. He was he had like a stress fracture in his back or something. He's been out for a long, long time. He hasn't even been able to get um, real, you know, minutes at all. Um, anywhere because he's been out for most of the year so I'm pulling up his G League stats now because he did have his debut the last um like a day or two ago and he put up a very well-rounded stat line so in his debut he had 10 points four rebounds two assists two steals one block five of seven shooting in 16 minutes that's one of those things like I I don't think he's going to be a contributor this year I don't even know if he'll be a contributor next year but it's just a very fascinating prospect the Hawks have gotten themselves and it seems like they are really focusing on developing these kind of guys same thing with Seth Lundy he spent most of the year down there he has been on fire from three I'm I'm okay if there's a plan and I feel like the fans can get a little um how shall I say I think they overreact sometimes when rookies don't immediately come in and play because you see some rookies around the NBA come in and immediately make this huge impact and that's true for some guys but guys like Buffkin guys like Guy even when Jalen Johnson was going through it it made sense to me that they were in the G League because they were widely considered raw especially Jalen he had only played 13 games at Duke when the Hawks drafted him it did made no sense to me why anybody was like why you know why isn't he playing you know he's he's a rookie he could help us I'm like no he he has no idea what's going on out there there's no way he's way too young he's had so many injuries he hasn't really played a ton of basketball in the last couple years just give it some time let the kid let the kid develop and 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 away from the spotlight and he'll be okay and look what's going on now now for the second part of the show, which I'm hoping becomes the permanent second part of the show, at least for the next month or two. I'm going to be giving one prospect in this upcoming draft that you should keep your ears and eyes on as a Hawks fan, right? So generally, the Hawks currently sit around 10th, potentially, in the in the draft order. That's just based on record, of course. It depends on what happens with... Um, everything involving the play-in tournaments, everything involving, you know, where the Hawks end up actually finishing, what they do in the playoffs, yada, yada, yada. So these are just names to keep in mind, guys, because I've been I've been doing my homework on this draft class now. Um, as you know, if you're a listener of the show, I have a TikTok page 
at Sad Atlanta Fan 1113, where I break down prospects. MLB and NBA currently is what I am working on. So I've been doing my my current big board, and there's a guy on those on that big board. I have him top five personally, just because of of how uh, of what I've seen, what I know about him, and kind of where he's currently at. I've got him top five. Most mock drafts you read have him going around the twenties. So really, he could go to the Hawks at either pick. I think by the end he's he's going to get closer because he was a top he was a top three guy at the beginning of the year, but due to some things uh, kind of outside of his control, he's fallen. And that is Stefan Castle of the Yukon Huskies. So Stefan Castle was the number twelve recruit in the twenty twenty three ESPN Top One Hundred. Um, he's a six six guard. But when I say guard, I mean like he's got experience as a point guard. He was a point guard in high school. He's a 6'6 point guard. So he's got ball handling ability. Um, But he went to UConn. And UConn is the best team in college basketball. I mean, they've got Tristan Newton, Donovan Klingon, Alex Caravan. They're a deep, deep team. And so Stephon Castle already was not going to be, you know, for lack of a better term, the guy, right? He was going to be one of the guys. But he was just an elite recruit that they were going to add on top of the great guys they already had coming back. He's currently averaging 10.9 points, 4.3 rebounds, 3 assists on 46.6% shooting from the field, and um, 32% from 3, I believe. Let me make sure. 30.4%. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong one. ESPN does their stats very weird. Ignore me. So 30.4% from 3, and that's kind of where the issues do come in. He does average almost a steal a game, averages 1.5 turnovers, 0.5 blocks. Um, like I said, he's a he's a bit player, right? Or not a bit player, but he's a bench guy. He averages twenty six point eight minutes a game. He started to play thirty plus the last couple games, specifically against Creighton and Villanova, where he scored in double figures. So he's at least kind of built a bit of a role for himself. And this was despite the fact that he started the year with a foot injury, so he was out for the first I think month or two of the season. So he did not really get to play with the team. He kind of came in mid season and built his way back up after. A lot of talk about him in the offseason. He's, he's, he had the injury, didn't get to participate with the team at the beginning of the year as much as you would have wanted, especially for a freshman coming into a very established team. And then he's kind of worked his way into a role, which is the most impressive part to me because UConn is far and away the best team. So the biggest strength of his is defense. Um, he doesn't have the longest wingspan, but he can definitely guard point guards to small forwards. He's quick enough for point guards, and he's 6'6", so it'll... Some of them he'll have a size advantage, but he can de- he can also guard small forwards because of the size. Again, he doesn't have the longest wingspan, so he's not going to be, you know, he's not a physical specimen in that regard. But because of his size, because of his quickness, and because of just his competitiveness, he is able to compete on the ball against all three of those positions, one through three. Very valuable type of defender. Um, off ball, he's jumping lanes, getting steals, uh, weak side rim protector. He's shown some abilities. Uh, depending on where you look, people have compared that his ability on that end to like Jalen Suggs and Marcus Smart, who two are who are two of the best defensive guards in the league. Uh, although Marcus Smart has taken a small step back, but like think better Marcus, like prime Marcus Smart. 
Um, offensively is where there's some questions. Um, like I said, he was a point guard in high school. He's got an assist rate around 24% this year. So he knows how to read a defense. He's good at passing the ball. 1.5 turnovers is not the greatest, but at the same time, I mean, it's a, it's a three to 1.5 assist to turnover ratio. That's actually really good for a freshman. Now he doesn't have to be the main point guard at UConn, but as a secondary guy, he has been very, very good. Um, so he's really good at making those plays off the dribble. He can get downhill, really good getting to the rim, uh, first step burst, all that good stuff. He's a he's a good enough athlete. He's got that kind of explosiveness that everybody really wants out of a lead guard. Um, he's good in pick and roll. He he can do almost everything. It, it, it's not, I know you're probably thinking, why is he going in the, like the twenties then? So first of all, I don't know. I don't know why these mock drafts have him in the twenties. It just doesn't make sense to me personally. Um, but the big thing holding him back is the jumper, right? It, it was a big kind of a question coming out of high school. It's become a more of a question in college. There were flashes of shot making in high school, but it is kind of the flashes are fewer and farther between. He's a 30% three-point shooter on the year, and the free throw number isn't much better. It's 73.8%, which isn't you know horrible, but it's not the greatest. Um, the mechanics of the jump shot aren't bad. It's it's not an it's not a really awkward shot. It's just there's been some ugly misses. And when someone's missing ugly, like think the Thompson twins in the NBA this year, when someone's missing ugly, that's typically an indicator of their mechanics are not the greatest. So maybe if you get them with a shooting coach, who knows? I think that it's worth a look because of that. Because if the only thing holding them back is that is the jump shot. I think that that's one of the things. I mean, it, to me, he has a similar a similar archetype to Scoot Henderson last year. Now, Scoot was much more productive in the G League Ignite, and he was probably a better athlete, but Stefan Castle is, I would say, has l- l- maybe less jump shot concerns, but I think he's a better prospect. He's a good prospect in his own right because of the defensive tools and the ability that he has shown on offense to do almost everything else, right? If you've got a downhill guard who can drive, make plays for other people, and the jump shot, I mean, right now it's like almost, I don't want to say a poor man's John Morant because John Morant is a one-of-one athlete, but it's a similar type of player to that where even if they go under the screens, I think he's going to be good enough to, here, think about it this way, Markel Fultz, that actually might be the best comparison for him right now. Markel Fultz, except he's probably a better shooter right now than Markel is because Markel is very rarely around 30%. He's typically down in the 20s from three. So if you get a Markel Fultz type, I think that's a very valuable archetype because you can play a guy like Stefan next to a Trey Young and he's your secondary ball handler. He's your secondary shot creator and he's providing much better point of attack defense than you're getting from anybody else. So now you have a guy like him Compared with, combined with a guy like DeAndre Hunter, combined with Onyeko Kongu and Jalen Johnson, you now have four average to above average to plus defenders on the court. And that's exactly what you need when building around Trey Young. So Stephon Castle, depending on where the evaluation of him comes up, as of now, you could have him at, at with the Kings pick at around pick 19. I think by the end of the draft, especially if he shows out in March Madness, he could be getting back into the top 10 discussion. If I'm the Hawks, I think that this is your number one target. This is number one on your big board. He is almost the perfect complement, especially if you can hire a, a shooting coach and get him to 34%, 35%. Then you really talk in business here. So that's going to do it for today's show. Um, the Atlanta Hawks looking okay. Maybe they're going to go on a run. We'll see. 
Either way, if they can just pick up Stefan Castle, that's that's all that I'm asking for. That is the show summarized. Uh, but if you have an opinion on anything I've said on this show, if you want to tell me I'm wrong, tell me I'm right, tell me that you understand what I'm saying, but here's an alternative point of view, just take this into consideration. You can email me at joshuajulian26 at outlook.com. Again, that is joshuajulian26 at outlook.com. You can also follow me on TikTok at sadatlantafan1113. I do in-depth breakdowns of prospects like Stefan Castle castle all the other prospects that i'm going to break down you can check out on that tiktok page i've probably already talked about them but i'm going to be mentioning their specific fit with the atlanta hawks in these ones on this segment of the show but that's going to wrap it up like i said and since this was originally a georgia tech podcast and it is named after a georgia tech tradition i have to end it the same way everybody out there all my yellow jackets know what the answer is so go ahead and say it with me after i ask the question what's the good word (laughs) 